Wow. Church, good morning. It is always good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. It is good to see your, I think your smiling faces. Amen. Y'all are smiling under those, right? I think we're smiling under those. Uh, thank you to Billy for uh, leading us in worship this morning and opening our hearts to uh, uh, not just hear the Word of God, but to receive the Word of God. Amen. And so, so thankful for Billy and what he's doing here in his ministry and uh, looking forward to, I know Kim will be here starting in August, right brother? Unless, uh, you know, unless the grass mowing does her in first, right brother? And so, uh, most of all the family hope will be back by then and, and we're looking to uh, celebrate with them as they get uh, moved in and everybody gets by. So thankful that Children's Church is back today, praise God, uh, and amen for that. And uh, church, again, I want to just make sure everybody knows we're taking just about every precaution uh, that we can to make this facility as safe as it can be for you and for your family. And so everywhere you turn, we've got masks, we've got hand sanitizers, we've, you know, washing our hands, and, and, and we're trying to social distance as much as we can. And so continue to just pray that God is going to uh, take this virus and, and, and remove it from our lands. I know there's some great news out there about vaccines and uh, different things that are coming, but uh, continue to pray. Uh, for our leaders, I, to me, it doesn't matter how you vote or, or, or what you know what party you're associated with. Our leadership in this county, in this state, in this country needs your prayers. Amen. Pl uh, please be praying. Pray, pray for our governors. Pray for our magistrates. Pray for our mayors. Pray for uh, our president and the vice president. Pray for those in the House and the Senate at every branch. They need our prayers. So continue to pray for these men and for these women that are helping make decisions. Pray for our teachers and, and, and superintendents and all of those educators as choices and decisions are being made even at the moment about going back to school and everything that's going on. Uh, teachers, administrators, you guys, believe me, uh, we are praying for all of you all. And uh, I know there's tough decisions to be made, but believe me, we still love you, and uh, we're praying for you. Amen. Uh, pray that you have your Bible. Uh, we're going to continue on the path that Austin talked a little bit about this morning when it comes to a man named Saul. And so I want you to get your Bible and open up to Acts chapter 9, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 9. The question this morning, the title of the sermon is what? Which road will you what? Will you travel? And so this is a personal question that only you can answer. Nobody else can answer this question. Your mom and dad, they can't answer this question. Uh, your spouse, your, your brothers, your sisters, your cousins, your aunts, your uncles. Nobody can answer this question but for you and you alone. You know, there's an old saying that goes like this. All roads lead to somewhere. And if you think about it, there are many, many roads that we can choose to go down in this life. There's the old, old one-lane roads that many of us grew up on. How many of y'all grew up on one-lane roads? Uh, I mean, you know, I'm 44 years old, and I still can remember learning how to drive on one-lane roads, thinking to myself, Lord, if anybody comes, I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, you know, my great-grandpa used to say, he said, don't worry about it, son. He said, I pay taxes on both sides. Uh, and, and literally, he would drive on both sides. That's just what he'd do. But uh, the one-lane roads, the two-lane roads, and now we even have these super highways, amen? We Three or four-lane roads where you can get to where you're going at high speeds if you choose. But think about this. There's roads with detours. 
There's roads with dead ends. There are roads that we travel down just for the scenery. There are roads that we dare not travel down when floodwaters arise. There are roads filled with potholes that keep our attention, and there are roads that we become so comfortable going down that we can almost navigate them with our eyes what? With our eyes closed. So if someone today came to you and they asked you this question, if they said, what road are you going down? What would you say? What would be your response? And for many people, there may be a lot of different answers. Because there are many roads that we can choose to what? That we can travel, that we can go down. And so the man that we're going to study this morning, he, he thought he was on the straight path. Man that we're going to study this morning, he thought he was on the road to righteousness. The man that we're going to look at this morning, he thought that the road that he was on was a God-paved road and everything that he was doing, he was doing for God until he had an encounter with who? With Jesus. And it changed his direction. It changed his life. It changed his heart. It changed his compassion. It changed everything that he stood for. And it turned him into maybe, just maybe, the greatest missionary of the New Testament. So I want you to look at your Bible. Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 9. Listen to the word of God. Now, meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and he asked him for the letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And as he neared Damascus on his own journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? This is a personal conversation. Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. And then verse 7, the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but not, did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see Nothing. So they led him by the hand to Damascus, and for three days he was blind, and he did not eat or drink anything. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the day that you've made. Amen. Lord, we thank you for uh, the music. We thank you for Brother Billy. Thank you for Brother Austin, Lord, that has come and, and shared the message to, Lord, not only the children, but all of us, dear God, that are here today. And so, Father, we pray that as the children are in their class, that they're learning about you, Lord, that seeds are being sown. Be with our teachers, Lord, and bless them and give them uh, the, the, uh, the, the faith, Lord, and, uh, Lord, the, uh, uh, the grace that they need to help do their job this morning. And Father, we are praying already this morning, God, that you are opening up hearts, Lord. Father, I pray that you're already uh, knocking on doors, because God, we know there's a lot of roads in this life that we can go down. There's a lot of roads, Lord, that lead to misery. Father, there's a lot of, of roads, dear God, that we look and we shake our head and say, God, I wish I'd have never done that. Lord, there's a lot of roads that we can go down and mistakes happen. And so, Father God, Lord, I pray this morning that 
whatever road we go down, Father, I hope you are the one steering the wheel, God. And so, Father, I pray this morning as you continue to, to teach and to preach, Lord, that the Holy Spirit will move. And, Father, people won't hear my voice, but, God, I, I pray that they, they hear yours, Lord, and that they hear your will for their life, and that the Holy Spirit, God, is already working, and that people, Lord, this morning will be challenged. Father, that your grace and your word and salvation will be received, and that lives will be changed. God, be among us, for it's in the name of Jesus we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. So if we're going to talk about this man named Saul, we, we need to know a little bit about this, this individual. Uh, this, this man named Saul, well, where did he come from? Well, the Bible tells us he came from a Greek city by the name of Tarsus. He was the son of a strictly Orthodox Jewish father. He was the son of a Pharisee. And although he was born in Tarsus, Saul was raised in Jerusalem, and he was educated under the Jewish religion under a man named Gamiel. So Saul was an educated man. He was bilingual, meaning he spoke the Greek and he spoke the Aramaic, which was a huge advantage for him being able to hold down a conversation with many in his time. Saul also had dual citizenship meaning he was a Jew and he was a Roman, another huge advantage. Saul himself, the Bible says, was a Pharisee. So what does this mean? It means he had a deep love, he had a deep appreciation for his Jewish faith, and he could easily speak to people that was rooted in Judaism. He was passionate about his belief in God. He knew the Scriptures probably backwards and forwards. He believed in God. And he was active in his faith. But you see, Saul had a religion, but Saul did not have a relationship. And there's a huge difference in that. When people say, well, I have a religion. Well, the first thing I like to tell people is I have a relationship. Amen? So Saul, he was an educated, religious man who loved God, but he hated God. The Son of God. Hated the Son of God. He hated Jesus. He hated Christians. He hated anything that had to do with Christianity. And because of that hatred, he did everything in his power to do what? To destroy it. And that was his intent in our scripture as he's heading toward Damascus with his arrest warrants, as he was breathing, breathing out these murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He had went to the high priest, and he had asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found anyone there, absolutely anyone that belonged to the way, well, the way is Christianity. Whether men or women, he would take them as prisoners and he would bring them back to Jerusalem. Now, let's put this in perspective a little bit this morning. Jerusalem was about a six-day walk to Damascus. And Saul was so full of rage and so full of hate that he was willing to spend 12 days walking in addition to how many days it took to round up. The Christians. In verse 2, the Bible says, If he found any there who belonged to the way. Now, what does the way mean? Well, we just said it a little bit. Christians in that day were referred to as the what? 
as the way. It indicated that others saw something different in their way or in their way of life. They saw they were different. They had a different way of life. And to use that phrase that is common today, yet is very descriptive of this word, they had a lifestyle about them that was different. It was different. And if we remember, Jesus Himself said what? I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And so here is Saul, with all of his background, a background that had led him to believe that the Christians were dead wrong about what they believed, and he claimed that they were heretics. He's gotten papers from the chief priest to bring the Christians back to Jerusalem, and as he's going, he's breathing murderous threats and hatred in his heart. And then suddenly a bright light shones around him, and the Bible says that he is struck down. A voice cries out, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he replies, Who are you, Lord? And man, it gets really personal right here for, for Brother Saul. He says, I am Jesus, whom you are what? whom you are persecuting. And when Saul is knocked down by God, he does something that reveals his broken spirit. He asks two questions. And they're probably the two most important questions that we can ever ask God. And they're like this. Number one, the first question Saul asks is, Who are you? Now this is a personal question. Please God, who, who are you? And then suddenly Saul realizes that this was not the God that he thought he knew. This was not the God that he had been serving. So he cries out, he says, who are you? And so all of his years of religious training in Judaism, in one brilliant second, Saul realizes that he doesn't know everything that he thought he that he thought he knew. See, Saul had a deep love for God. He had dedicated his life basically to serving God. But Saul's religion got in his way of having a relationship with the Son of God. So on the road to Damascus, Saul finally met the Son of God. He finally met the Messiah, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace that he had only read about but was certain in his mind that this Jesus had not yet come, surely to life. Surely this Jesus was not murdered, and surely this Jesus had never rose three days later from the dead. See, Saul's question wasn't just a personal question, but it was also a relational question. Not just who are you, but who are you to, who are you to me? Saul wasn't seeking just information when he asked Jesus that question. Saul wanted to know what it meant for his life. Is this it? Is this the end? Am I going to be destroyed? Or, or Jesus, are you going to spare me, Lord? It was a question about Jesus' character. It was a question that all of us have to ask. Jesus' response was, I am Jesus who you are persecuting. And then the second question. Now, the NIV doesn't state this, but if you have the King James with you, it says this. The second question was this. 
What do you want me to do? Golly. The first question was, who are you to him? And then the second question, he looks and talks to Jesus, and he says, what do you want me to do? And then look at verse 6 in your Bible. It says, now, I want you to get up, and I want you to go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Now, I've tried placing myself into the trembling shoes of Saul when he had this encounter in which he had never planned for and believed whatever happened. And here he is, he's persecuting. Here he is, he's imprisoning those that belong to Christianity. He's yelling out these murderous threats against the people of Jesus. He's basically a Christian terrorist, is what he is. And then the person he didn't believe in existed, stands in his path, and I believe several things must have ran through the mind of Saul when he had his encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. And this is where your outline begins. You ready? Number one, Jesus, he's not dead, but he's surely alive. Amen? Amen. I mean, he had to think that. That had to go through his mind. Jesus, he's surely not dead, but he's alive. Saul had never accepted Jesus as the Messiah, but he had accepted the fact that Jesus from Nazareth was dead. He accepted that fact. And now all of a sudden, here's the dead man, and things start to become so, so much what? Clear. Saul fell on bended knee and he heard the words of Jesus, put yourself in Saul's shoes. The very one in which you had denied as the Son of God was literally having a conversation with you. Can you imagine what was going on in his mind? I mean, let's be honest. Let's stop and think about it real quick. Can you imagine what his body must have felt like trembling with a lump in his throat? Everything that he had denied about Jesus was becoming clearer and clearer by the second. Now can you imagine, think about this, the millions, after they breathe their last breath and have never known Jesus in their life, they find themselves face to face with Jesus, and the many that had denied him or ignored him, they say to themselves, Jesus is real. Jesus was not a mythical figure. Jesus was not just a fairy tale or a children's story or a figurehead for Easter or for Christmas, but He's standing right in front of me. The millions that will one day open their eyes and finally realize, oh my goodness, He is real. What have I done? Or for many, it will actually be, what have I not done? Saul was on the ground hearing the words from the one that is the way, that is the truth, and that is the life. The very person that was supposedly just a carpenter from Nazareth was supernaturally speaking to the terrorist of Christianity. Can you envision this personal drama as it was unfolding on that day to Damascus. And then Saul also finally understood, number two, that Jesus has a spiritual unity between himself and who? 
the saints or the church. He has a unity. Saul had not merely been persecuting the followers of Jesus, but Jesus goes one step further. He says, why do you persecute who? Me. Why are you persecuting me? The Bible reminds us, it tells us in 1 Corinthians 12, 27, you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part what? Of it. You are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Now, whether you want to believe me or not, Satan right now is working triple time to destroy that. He is working hard to bring division into the church. He is working hard to cause us to fuss. He's working hard to cause us to fight. He's working hard for us to cause us to bicker. And listen to me, church. He doesn't care about what you're fighting about as long as you're fighting. And we're falling right in line with it. We're falling right in line with it. Everything that Saul thought he stood for, his belief in the Scripture, his belief in God the Father, his firm belief in his faith, he was literally going against it all. Why? Because he was going against the Son of God. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 11, Believe in me when I say that I am in the Father and that the Father is in who? Is in me. And persecuting the church, Saul was persecuting Jesus. And Saul did not understand that those in Jesus, they, it went way further than just sharing a belief, but they shared the same Holy Spirit that lived in each one of them and that lives in each one of us. Amen? The very one that had died and risen again to give Saul life was the very one which Saul was trying to silence along with his followers. See, Saul also finally understood, number three, that Jesus, the Son of God, has power to give, and he has power to what? He has power to take away. Saul knew this was no ghost. Saul knew that this was no spirit. Saul knew this was no magic show that he had encountered on the road to Damascus that day. The Bible says in verse 8, Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see what? He could see absolutely nothing. You know, I'm reminded in the book of Job, chapter 1, verse 21, the Bible says, and this came from the lips of Job, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken what? Away. Now, why would Jesus take away Saul's eyesight? Well, I think a lot of people have their own opinion. But at this very moment, his spiritual blindness to Jesus as the Son of God was paralleled by his physical blindness and his brokenness. The one that had been hunting Christians was now being led by others into Damascus hand in hand as the text tells us that Saul for three days was blind and did not eat and did not drink. The one that had all the power now stood powerless. Jesus said in John chapter 9, verse 39, For judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see, and those who will see will become blind. See, Saul, even when he could physically see, had been blinded to who Jesus was. 
even though he could see, even though he had maybe 20-20 vision, Saul was spiritually what? Blind. Like millions in the world today, they know the stories about Jesus. They've heard about Jesus. They know about Easter. They know about Christmas. They can see perfectly, but they still are spiritually what? They're spiritually blind. It's a hard situation for Saul to grasp. But this continues to lead to the next point. Saul also learned that day number four that Jesus has a personal interest in who? In me. Whoever tells you that Jesus does not have a personal vested interest in you, run. As fast as you can. Because if you cannot see that in this Scripture... You may be one of those that are spiritually blind this morning yourself. Now, why would Jesus waste his time on an individual who had been persecuting the church in which Jesus had died for? Well, I want you to do something with me this morning. Are you ready? I want you to turn your Bible over to 1 Timothy. Go on. I want you to turn your Bible over to 1 Timothy chapter 1, and I want us to look at verses 15 and 16. 1 Timothy. Chapter 1, 15 through 16. We're talking about Jesus having a personal interest in who? In you. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 15 through 16. The Bible says this. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that reason I was shown mercy. So that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Guess whose words those are? Saul. Or for those that may know him as the Apostle Paul. One of the greatest lessons that I have learned is that God never gives up. God never quits on people. Now, people, we may quit on God, but God never quits on people. And even though Jesus had taken Saul's vision away, he still could have got up. He still could have disobeyed. He still could have gotten up and told his men, he said, look, I want you to take me back to Jerusalem. But Saul got up and he went into the city as he had been instructed by Jesus. Saul had decided that he was going to follow Jesus, the very one that he had been persecuting. And by encountering Jesus on the road to Damascus, Saul was also going to learn a viable lesson that day, which goes on to number five. All roads lead to something, but the only road to salvation comes through who? Comes through Jesus. All roads that we go down in this life are going to lead to something, but there's only one road of salvation, and that is through Jesus. He saw thought that the road that he was on was the road. Saul thought that the road that he was on was going to get him into heaven. But Jesus said in John 3, 3, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he's what? Unless he's born again. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, No one comes to the Father except through 
Me. See, Jesus is not a way, as in one of many, but Jesus is the only way to heaven. He is the only way to heaven. Now, there are multiple ways people say, well, I can get to heaven by just being a good person. Oh, I can get to heaven by just not committing crimes. I can get to heaven if I just go to church. Well, I can get to heaven if I'm just a good person. Listen to me. When Jesus, the Son of God, the Creator of the world, that came, lived, and died for you, says, I am the only way for you to get to heaven. Believe it. Trust it. Accept it. And teach it. And that is what He has called us to do. It's the only way. Saul thought, man, my road is, is the right road. And church, listen to me this morning. There's nothing wrong with religion. But a religion that is not centered on the Son of God, Jesus Christ, that's a religion that I can't and I'm not going to put my faith in. I'm not going to do it. So when you ask yourself this morning, what road am, am I traveling? Well, are you traveling down the road with Jesus, or are you still the one that's steering the what? Are you still the one that's steering the wheel? And church, th th I'm going to give you some hard, hard truth. Are you ready? Many people are going to learn what I say next the hard way. Are you ready? Don't you remember, you know, when you was growing up and mom or dad, they would paddle you a little bit and they said, this is going to hurt a lot worse for me than it does for you. And we know that's not true, right? But church, listen, this is going to hurt if we're not careful. Your Damascus Road opportunity will come to an end at your death. When you die, it's over. Well, Brother Donnie, you know, when I die, I'll just ask Jesus to forgive me. You know, Brother Donnie, when I die and I, and I see that it's real, I'll just come to an understanding then. Well, my goodness, Lord, it's, it's all real. I'm so sorry, God. Will you please forgive me? And then Jesus is going to look at you and say, depart from me. I never knew you. And here's what's so frustrating as a preacher. Some will say, well, God loves everybody. There's no way that, that God that loves is ever going to send anyone to a hellish eternity. You're right. God don't. You do. You do. Well, what do you mean? I mean, if you're living and you're breathing, you have the opportunity to come and say, I want to place my faith in Jesus Christ as my Lord and as my Savior. When you die and you breathe your last breath and you find yourself in front of God and there's only one or two roads that's left, amen? There's no more options. Time has ran out. There's no second chance. One road is going to lead to life with eternity with Jesus Christ, and the other road is going to lead to an eternity that is separated from Jesus. And the Bible says that road is going to lead to weeping and gnashing of teeth. I don't believe in scaring people into heaven. But I do believe in telling you the truth. When we die and we breathe that last breath, either you're going to wake up 
and an eternity with Jesus Christ or you're going to wake up with an eternity of hell. And it's your choice to choose. God does not send people to hell. You're right. We send ourselves. We get to choose what road that we want to go down. And if Saul or Paul, as we like to call him, if he could come back right now today and stand in our very presence and stand in our very midst, I would almost guarantee you he would say these words. I can't thank Jesus enough for changing the road I was traveling down. I can't thank him enough. Because church, hear me, Saul was headed to hell. He had a religion. But he didn't have a relationship. And so many people today, they're willing to put their eternity on the line because of their pride, because of their stubbornness, because of their hard-headedness, because they don't want to say, Jesus, I believe in you, because if someone comes and they say, Jesus, I believe in you, that means we're giving up our own power and we're giving it to someone else. And I'll be daggum if I'm willing to do that. Amen? You know, I have met a lot of people, young and old, that have went down some bad, bad roads. And there are a lot of great testimonies from Christians, I guarantee you, from in this church and with the many others, that could tell you about some of the roads that they've went down in their life. The church, listen to me. Life is not perfect. Life is going to be challenges, there's going to be ups, and there's going to be downs. But I chose a long time ago, I said, Lord, no matter what road I go down, Lord, I want you to steer it. I want you to lead it. And see, we do a lot of the opposite. We say, God, I'm going to go, and if you want to come along for the ride, you're more than what? You're more than welcome. What road do you want to go down in this life? Because there's a lot of roads that lead to absolutely nowhere. This morning as Billy comes and we have our invitation and our time to pray, only you know what road you're on right now. I talk to so many men and women alike that say, you know, Brother Donnie, I was saved at nine years old, and then the road that I take, have taken looks nothing compared to the road I said I was on. Well, maybe you need to come and rededicate your life. Maybe you need to come and say, God, I want to I rededicate my life. Lord, I know I'm not where you want me to be. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's being honest with God. Or maybe there's some you've never traveled down the road with Jesus. You've never given your life to Christ. Man, what a great day it would be. Amen to come and say, Father, I put my trust in you, Lord. I put my faith in you. I know I'm a, I'm a sinner, and God, I need your grace. I, I need your, your forgiveness. But I believe in you. I trust in you. And I'm going to follow you today. Whatever your need is this morning, as we sing, as you stand,